Welcome to the Liberty Block. I am Elliot Axelman. I'm joined by my co-hosts, Stephen Axelman and Ed Maslish. We're joined by a great Libertarian State Representative, Josh Yokella of New Hampshire for our post-session interview that we're doing with the state reps that we began a few weeks ago. Josh, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you for having me. Pleasure to be here. All right, so we have a bunch of questions for you and we just wanna start with you telling us how this session went and how your expectations aligned with how it actually went, especially concerning COVID, corona fascism, and all the other insanity that ensued the past year. What are your overall thoughts, the good and the bad about the session? What were your expectations? And what are you thinking now? My expectations were that we were going to, um, since we had control of, of all three parts of the process, that we were going to be able to close down the restrictions on COVID um, and push forward um, things like the education savings accounts, which are huge priorities, and uh, save taxes and property tax relief. Um, and I also thought that we could possibly do something with right to work. And I was hopeful definitely at the beginning of the session. At the end of the session um, for the first year, uh, a little bit less hopeful, but we did get a lot of the stuff that we wanted to get done. But I think a lot of the leadership in the Freedom Caucus, kind of not exactly Freedom Caucus, but yes, the, free, the um, <clears throat> Freedom Caucus is kind of, just the um, reopen New Hampshire caucus, essentially. And uh, I think that there was a lot of people voted in based on that. And they had, they were brand new. And so I feel like they stumbled a lot and they didn't necessarily know um, kind of how to predict what was going to happen, what was the counter moves and the people whether it be the Senate, the governor, what was going to be uh, the counter moves and therefore how would they get the best deal. So they spend a lot of time infighting. And um, and so I ended up getting kicked out of the Freedom Caucus, like oh. chats and stuff like that, because um, we were, me and a couple other people were really focused on, you know, okay, you want to burn everything down, but what, what is your next steps? How do you actually reach a goal? Like wh what is, you wanna have something to uh, show for your efforts. You wanna be moving the state every year towards more freedom and more liberty. And if you just blow everything up, then essentially half of your chance if you never get elected again, um, because you didn't do anything uh, is, uh, is, you know, crumbles if you blow everything up. So where, where do you draw the line and say, okay, this is, this is not okay. And so I'm not going to vote for it. And this is a good step forward, which we could build on in the next year or in the future and go back to the constituents and say, this is why you voted for me to move us forward a little bit. And so there was a lot of uh, frustration with that in this, at the end of the session, for sure. So if I understand you correctly, you're saying that, in your opinion, the Freedom Caucus was reaching for too much and did not know how to get it? 
and they didn't know when to hold them, when to fold them. Is that kind of what you're saying? Yeah, there was a there was definitely uh, some people that were in leadership that were even got distracted onto other things, which had nothing to do with reopening. Um, specifically, like the FMLA, they focused a lot about the governor wants this FMLA and that it's anti-liberty, so they were going to burn everything down. However, there was no situation in, in which FMLA was coming out of the budget because the Democrats were never going to argue <laughs> against the FMLA. And so it was just always going to be there. And when it was only going to get worse if they uh, voted it down. And so they were talking about stuff like, oh, we could, you know, go two years without a budget. I'm like, that's never going to happen. No one. And so it's, it's not zero or FMLA. It's FMLA or worse FMLA. Those are the, those are the options for you. And so, so sometimes... Your objection was that they didn't that, that they didn't let it go. They should have just accepted the FMLA and moved on to other things. <clears throat> well, I think that it was outside the scope of what they were trying to do. Like reopen was trying to focus on reopening. And so there were certain people within the reopen that were focused on FMLA, which hurt the message for focusing on reopening. You know, there there's um, HRA, which is focused on you know, Republican values, et cetera. And so they had kind of taken the ball with FMLA and then said, okay, we're not going to actually get anywhere with this. So they dropped, they said, okay, it is what's what it is. With, what's wrong with Republican legislators taking a, a firm stand and saying, no, hell no, we're not including this in our budget. That's, I mean, that's, that's fine. Um, if, if you're willing to, uh, say that you don't want anything else in the budget either. Well, it's about letting the perfect be the enemy of the good, right? It's about knowing when to be practical and compromise, but also having principles and it's a hard balancing act, right? Yeah. And some people took that very, um, personally, um, when people were, you know, I mean, there's, when I was trying to explain to a lot of them, whereas, Hey, you know, if you vote this down and the budget gets, and we have to write a new one, does it come back better? And every time you vote it down, it gets worse and worse and worse. When do you start, start and, and more and more of the other side starts voting for it, the worse it becomes. So how do you, um, you know, stop the bleeding, essentially? Well, what kind of leadership did the governor give to, to try and stop the bleeding? Did the governor give you any, you know, Backbone. He was the bleeding. What do you mean? <laughs> the governor, <clears throat> I believe that the governor was going, went as far as he was going to go with um, capitulation to the um, Liberty, the Freedom Reopen New Hampshire kind of group. And he felt like he had already negotiated um, as far as he was going to go with them. And so it would have been much easier for him to come back. What I believe would have happened was he would have come back with a, a budget that was subtracting the abortion um, stuff and subtracting uh, the um, education savings accounts and saw, thought he, maybe he would have get 20 Democrats or 30 Democrats with that and only lose, you know, 
10, 15 Republicans. So he's just trying to gain more votes to be, to well, be able to pass it. So I don't think that he was ever going to go the Republican, like a more strong Republican way. So if he was looking a moderate. Make, if, if Sununu was looking to make deals with the Democrats more than the Republicans, would you say that he's a net positive or net negative for the New Hampshire GOP? I think that he's a moderate. So he, just like he struck the deals last session with the Democrats, um, he didn't go super hard line on them last time. He's able to work um, both sides of the aisle. And so he is um, better than some and not as great as he could be. So that's my, my opinion on that. I, I see you don't want to answer the question. I, I don't want to push you too hard, but I, I want to give you one last chance to, you know, do you view that, you know, do you think that he's a net positive or a net negative, or you just don't want to say? Compared to what? Yeah, what's the alternative? Compared to Democrats, he's a net positive. You know, Dan Felt is the person that he was running against. He's a net positive, right? If, if, if he... If there was another Republican that was running, then we could have a discussion about whether he was a net positive or a net negative. Is, if he's if he's making deals with Democrats rather than working together with the Freedom Caucus and and more Republican-minded legislators, is he really advancing the ball for the Republican cause, or is he advancing the ball for the Democrat cause? Well, Sununu kind of answered this question a few weeks ago, right? When he said, I think it was a tweet or a speech. He said. Um, libertarians have no place in the Republican Party. Like, so he made it very clear. It was, he was answering this question. Someone asked how he felt about like the Freedom Caucus and he pretty much said these libertarians need to get out. I'm gonna, can I rephrase the question a little bit? Um, because now Sununu has been the governor as long as you've been in the legislature, correct? Totally, yeah. Do you think it would have been different fighting against the governor from the other party? In regards to Corona fascism. With regard to Corona, yes. The Republicans would have been much more united. There is a, a decent amount of Republicans that do not want to go against what the governor suggests. There is a significant number of um, senators specifically that, that um, have got a lot of support from the governor and view their um, success in winning in large part to the governor so they don't uh, want to cross, cross him because of that, because they feel like they owe him a little bit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think we could call on that politics, which is pretty interesting. Um, but when the session started, did you have a specific goal with the state of emergency? Were there numbers you had in mind that you felt you got or didn't get? Because it ended up with him getting ninety days, right? Yes. Yes. I wasn't too focused on the 90 days. I just wanted, or, or the 45 days or any, any amount of time um, specific that the Republicans or the, the legislature needed to sanction it. My problems with the state of emergency are more that the governor is not allowed to write any laws. That's like, that's the legislature's job and he just, signs it. He's a process, part of that process, but he doesn't circumvent that process. Um, and 
I also, as I was a co-sponsor on the bill that refunded uh, all the penalties, there is a penalty in statute for breaking emergency orders. And uh, he rewrote that in one of his emergency orders, essentially to say, I'm not going to go with that penalty. I'm going to give a different penalty. And I think that was um, vast overreach. And uh, so that's one of the reasons why I co-sponsored that refund of all of those, because I think that once the government governor is saying that you can't use your property the way that um, you should be able to, if you ha don't have a disease, you're not risk to anyone, you haven't been proven to be a danger, you, you know, you have the presumption of innocence. And um, if they're trying to take your property away from in that, then I, I essentially see it as a, um, a regulatory taking when he was trying to um, say this business can't open, that business can't open, and that he owed restitution to all those people for for essentially taking ownership of their business for some time and controlling what they did at it. So. Okay. I have another question, which I, I just want to make it very clear. You don't have to answer my questions. Just say you don't want to answer. Um, were you surprised at the stances he took on COVID-19 that he clamped down as hard as he did? Is that something you would have expected him to do? Or you're like, oh my God, I can't believe this is happening. And if you don't want to answer, just don't answer, that's fine. I was absolutely surprised. I was up until the day when he put in the um, restrictions and saying that there was a stay at home order I didn't believe that he was going to do that. What, you know, when he was doing the mask mandate, he, he, I did not believe that he was going to do that. You know, those, I just couldn't believe it when he, when he did that kind of stuff. So um, it was even surprising to me. And so that's a little bit why I was disillusioned by the time election came around for all of the things that he's done. It definitely would have been worse with a, uh, Democratic governor, but um, I don't think that it saved us that much. I feel like there was a lot of listening to DHHS, which um, is good, that's their role, but I felt like they also weren't always looking at the data to come up with that. It might have been coming from other politicians or monkey see, monkey do with other states, um, but it didn't seem like they were looking at the data and saying, this is what's risky, you know, things like wearing a mask outdoors. Like there's no evidence that, that wearing a mask outdoors or that anyone's getting Corona or that's a significant thing. Um, and so it seemed like they're trying to encourage people to go indoors where that's where all the danger is instead of encouraging people to go out, exercise, take advantage of the um, fact that, the wind is blowing and it's summertime. And so get out and go on a bike ride instead of stay, stay at home in your family with your family. Um, and, and then there's also, uh, you know, it's, uh, when someone is sick, they're sending them home to quarantine with their whole family. So their entire family gets sick instead of having a specific place that's saying like, okay, instead of, um, you know, staying with your, with a family, let's, let's all these hot hotels that we've shut down or something like that. Let's put them in a hotel in a room that's separate so that they're not infecting the entire rest of the family. 
because a lot of this a lot of the spread was in your family when you're at home when you it doesn't matter how long you're wearing a mask eventually those um you could be wearing a mask entirely at home forever and the air is eventually going to get out of the mask and the virus is going to spread in your home and so there's it's a temper it was a temporary fix the masks so if you're in close contact for a very short amount of time the mask can help but if you're in an extended period of time it it just gets saturated with the area well, some of us don't believe the mask helps at all because we believe it's like a fence trying to prevent the fly but that that's another story i want to I, mean, I want to follow up on on the on, with a question about reopening sure the executive branch both state and federal seem to be contracting out lockdowns to the private sector and i'm wondering if you what you what response if any you think the legislature has in trying to clamp that down you know for instance you know having the you know whether it's the governor or the president confer with you know amazon or or some big corporations and and say well you know we can't mandate vaccinations but you guys can and you know we want you to 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 you know to require your employees or your customers to be vaccinated to be masked uh you know is it your is your position that that's just a free market situation or is that something that the free market has been so slanted and distorted over the last 18 months with government propaganda that a legislative fix is warranted i think so i would default to um, if it's your business, you can decide what can uh, happen in your business or not. And I am very disappointed with some of the rhetoric, you know, from the White House and from other governors that have um, encouraged people both to be banning, banning people or censoring people on uh, Facebook. Um, normally, I would say, you know, Facebook and all of those companies can can have you on or not have you on. But when the, when the federal government is coming in and saying, hey, these are the people you should ban because we don't like them, that is essentially, I mean, it's borderline, if not already criminal, I think. And, and so the problem is with the government saying, we should, you should be either mandating vaccine or you should be restricting these people's access to um, your website so that they can't share their message um, without them actually breaking the law. You know, the government has a free speech, uh, you know, amendment that's limiting on the government to say you're not allowed to do that. And they're definitely trying to cross the, that line. And so I'm definitely concerned about that for sure. Let me clarify a little bit. I mean, let's take two examples. I mean, let's take both state universities in New Hampshire, and yeah. then maybe private universities and private businesses. Yeah. Should, what if these private entities or even the state universities require the students to be vaccinated? Do you think that the New Hampshire legislature should, over, to, should intervene and say, oh no, you can't do that? Whether so the, the state New Hampshire private universities or private employers, you think that taking a vaccine should be a private decision between you and your doctor, or do you think that, uh, you know, that a, an, a third party can, can coerce you into doing it. Uh, I, so there's already a bill that passed HB 220 that 
does not allow for state um, state colleges, state any agency of the state to require vaccines. So that has already been taken care of by the New Hampshire uh, House and Senate and was passed into law. And I supported that. Um, limiting the actions of government to to in this area is a no-brainer. The the my argument is for state colleges or private colleges and private businesses that they should be able to choose who they let in or let out. Um, and, you know, they have the right to refuse service to anyone, is my opinion. And it's only... Except for if you, want to, if you don't want to bake a cake for a gay wedding, you can't refuse that. I don't... Su I support refuse being able to refuse yeah so so i, I so to make this even clearer I, I was always on the side of a free market absolutist because i'm a voluntarist so i'm 100 free market absolutist and i argued with ed on this show i argued with ed for the last year and a half but he finally has won and convinced me that that now i should agree with him pretty much he's convinced me that every state every private company or so-called private it has been coerced so heavily that more than 50 percent of what goes into influence their decision is by the government for instance, if a private employee, McDonald's, a private employer, kicks me out, we would all support that, right? It's their private property. But what if they kicked me out because the government put a gun to their head and said, you better kick out Alu? Then it would be a government action, not a private action, right? And that's actually the what the government did. Or if the government has been lying about yep. COVID, lying about the vaccine. Well, it's the propaganda, but even a little beyond the propaganda. For instance, I don't know if you knew this. Someone told me he was used to work with the HHS, told me this. The reason New Hampshire businesses the business owners are requesting, asking the governor for more mask mandates and all these uh, requirements is because they've been forced to, they've been backed into a corner by the federal government. The federal government has put pressure, put the thumb on the scale of private businesses to get them to support uh, mask mandates in their stores for customers and employees alike. They did this by telling, by making the law, and you know, with uh, what the courts agreed to have standing, what the courts agreed to rule on, but also what um, they allow for unemployment. For instance, they allowed any employee to collect unemployment if they say they don't want to work because they have a dangerous work environment because their employer does not have a mask mandate. So you see how any private business is no longer private because the decisions the business owner makes is not his own, but it's government influenced. Because if I had a big business, if I ran a business with 100 employees and they could all sit home because the government paid them to sit home, if I don't have a mask mandate, I would make a mask mandate. Not because I want to, because the government forced me. So that's where it starts getting weird where I'm you know, an AMCAP voluntarist. I'm a free market absolutist, but I can't be a free market absolutist in this sense because the decision, it, it, you know what I mean? It's like uh, the government putting a gun to their head and saying, make a decision. That's not a private decision. If you say your honor, she consented before we went to bed. Yeah, but you had a gun to her head. She didn't really consent. It, it was coercive. You know what I mean? So I, I, I do understand. And I think that the issue that you're describing is an issue with the government not an issue with the private business. Oh, 100%, it's the government's fault. So, so the government needs to stop requesting, you know, people to get censored online to, um, to incentivize people to not work and pay them for not working. And, um, and absolutely for not, not trying to pressure businesses to do one thing or another. If they are if they are doing that, I don't support that. And so there, I definitely would focus, I wouldn't necessarily focus on mandating the businesses to do something because you're just 
trying to solve one problem by creating another problem of government government forced you to do something and now we're forcing you to do the opposite that's that's not my my view that we should be tr trying to actually fix it by saying the government doesn't have a place in this this is a free decision an area which you are free to make your own decision based on whatever evidence that you have come across and so i i think that sometimes people are trying to fix one problem by putting on a band-aid in the opposite direction or, you know you know slicing your other arm off instead of yeah. getting getting it sewn back on that's what the government does they'll break your legs and then give you a wheelchair and right. make you pay taxes for the wheelchair then make someone else pay taxes for the ramp and all they do is more more government and solve it with more government right so so when i see a government problem my solution oftentimes is not more government it's fix the government problem by scaling back their supposed role in deciding what you do with your with uh your business so that's a great answer yeah but Actually, I, mean, I want to ask you something josh um there was a time that i can reach back into my deep recesses of memory when there wasn't COVID. um if anybody can remember that what were the issues that were important to you when the world still functioned in a normal way and had not everything become COVID, COVID, COVID? The main thing that I was focused on, like last term, was my main issue is freedom of property rights and freedom of privacy, invasion of privacy and the erosion of your Fourth Amendment rights, both at the federal level and even the state level and uh, property rights. And so those are my main focuses. And obviously I was very supportive of education savings accounts, but I didn't believe that it was, I thought that was like a 10 year goal. And so um, I was not hopeful that that would happen right away. But property rights, I feel like that if you, if you don't have your pri privacy or um, your property rights, I would see that as another aspect of, of your property rights. Um, but you don't think that you don't think that my whether I'm vaccinated or not is a is a privacy issue. Um, whether or not the government knows you're vaccinated or not is a privacy issue. Whether or not you what are vaccinated. Employer, I mean, what what business does a private employer have to to ask me to even ask me are you vaccinated? I mean, that's that's a med private medical decision between me and my doctor. Why is it between? Right, you don't have to answer. So that, that's the difference between your interactions with you and a private employer and you and the government, is when the government asks, you have to answer. When the private employer okay. asks, you just choose to either engage with that person or not engage. Right, but, but we're being shut out from society. I mean, we're being told we, can't, we won't be able to buy food. We won't be able to, to ride the, the subway or the bus. Uh, how is it not a privacy issue given that i mean if the if the vaccine works what what possible reason can you can an employer have to be afraid of someone who's not vaccinated i mean it's it's just it doesn't even pass rational basis review yeah i don't see it as a privacy issue as far as the, the a business asking you you can you have the freedom to share that information if you choose or not and whether or not you um are required by the government i see that as more of a um an infringement on your 
right to control like self-determination what they do with the inf information that you got vaccinated or not that would be a privacy issue i wouldn't i and so i think a few things are getting conflated there so before well, covid what did you mean by privacy and property rights so obviously there's a, a lot of things that were revealed by snowden and the fact that the government is essentially collecting all of our data and uh, storing it and, and defining that collection as not a search and saying that the, it only counts as a search when they actually go search through all of the stuff they collected. So they can go walk through your house taking pictures, but if they never get the film developed until they uh, feel like it, then only when they get the film developed is that a search. That's, I feel like that's absurd. And so what I proposed last time was a constitutional amendment to say that, um, that some of those things will be protected. Uh, they they voted that down mainly because, I mean, for some reason, uh, for some people, they believe that the new privacy amendment to the constitution would cover it and they felt like my language should be in statute. So this time I tried to propose a, a privacy bill because in our law currently, uh, our own attorney general can go and request your information from a common, a common communications carrier uh, without a search warrant. They can just demand that information and the the uh, carrier has to provide that information. And so I proposed uh, amending that and saying that you have to get a search warrant just like everyone else, every other law enforcement agent. If you want that information, you need to get a search warrant. And that passed the House and then died in the Senate. And so they, uh, so I'm still trying to, and, and that's one of the things that I'm Kind of disappointed with the Senate for, like you know that's that should be a no-brainer that you have to get a search warrant before you get um, the, cert the records of of New Hampshire citizens. And so, what does um, your Constitution in New Hampshire say about that, parallel to the United States Constitution? So there's there's two sections of of our Constitution that deal with. Um, kind of privacy and search warrants. So article, I believe it's 19, is, uh, has to do with the right to, from free, free from unreasonable searches and seizures. And then the new amendment, article 2B, um, says that you have a right um, to be free from government intrusion in your personal affairs. And so... I think that the law is uh, unconstitutional. I think that b based on that new article uh, 2B, but ever since it's been passed, the secretary, or not the secretary of state, the um, attorney general has requested, I believe uh, 80 times in the last two years for the records from everyone from Facebook to uh, your internet service provider to uh to uh you know verizon they've been asking for people's records uh constantly and it seems to be not actually the 
attorney general doing some research, but actually the local uh, municipalities asking the attorney general to get this information for them because that information is being sent directly to the local municipalities. And Keene, I think, is one of the worst offenders on that, requesting stuff from the state. I want to ask a, a question on a tangentially related subject. Uh, the, there's a, there was a lawsuit between Massachusetts and New Hampshire over um, income taxes owed to the state of Massachusetts by New Hampshire residents that were working at home and had no other contact, no, no direct contacts with Massachusetts. Right. Um, I believe that it was, it, it was uh, dismissed. Uh, or, I'm sorry? On standing. Yeah. Right. So my question is, do you favor legislation that would instruct New Hampshire courts to not give full faith and credit to any judgment that a Massachusetts court might, uh, might uh, grant giving this Department of Revenue in Massachusetts uh, a judgment against a New Hampshire resident? I think that that, I think that would be a big problem to get past because I think that people don't, I think that it's federal requirement. I mean, the only one hurt by it is Massachusetts. You don't have anybody in New Hampshire who's hurt by it. That's hurt by the full faith and credit? Well, I mean, if Massachusetts wants to collect money from New Hampshire residents, you guys protect your residents and say, oh, no, you don't. Just, you know, you just don't put your money into a bank that's got branches in Massachusetts. I... I do think that that would create some, some problems. And so I'm not sure that it would work. I would have to do a lot more research. Is there any precedent for that? Has any state done that with any other state, like not accepting their judgments? Um, general, I mean, it's it, no, although there was talk about it, you know, with, with gay marriage before the Obergefell decision. Um, I mean, as a lawyer, that's that's the path I would take. I mean, especially it was dismissed on standing grounds. It wasn't adjudicated one way or the other. And this is your way of protecting New Hampshire residents. I mean, New Massachusetts is overreaching. And you, I think, I mean, it's just my opinion, but, you know, you guys in the legislature in New Hampshire, your duty is not to Massachusetts. Your duty is to protect your own state residents. And the way to protect them is to say, well, if they get a judgment, they can't collect in, in New Hampshire. We're not going to recognize that judgment. And let them find a case that they can bring to the, that they can get all the way to the Supreme Court and have the Supreme Court rule the other way. I mean, at, at that point, you, you know, if they file that case, then you argue the case on the merits like you wanted to before. I don't think that it will you would be arguing whether or not you are allowed to not give full faith and credit, not whether or not you are allowed to tax a citizen of another state. Well, with Wayfair versus South so, Dakota, this was a very similar issue, right? And there was a bill in New Hampshire, and then it didn't pass, right? But Sununu was on the right side of that, wasn't he? This is a few years ago. 
Yes, collecting sales tax across state lines, uh, there was some efforts to try and stop that. But there was a but, bill that didn't pass, right? But it got close to passing here. Yeah, I think there was some legislation that passed. I'm not sure what. Uh, Even if it's not a long-term winner, I'm just trying to come up with an idea that can tee it up. You got kicked out of court. I mean, if you do yeah. nothing, then you've lost because Massachusetts is going to just take the money. Yeah, yes. I don't think that we should be... Um, I'm not sure that that is the, the method that is the best to achieve the goal. I think that the judgment from the Supreme Court seems to indicate that we should be getting like a class action lawsuit against Massachusetts. And I think that it's possible that the governor or the attorney general could help facilitate that. Well, a class action lawsuit requires representatives and requires common claims. And as a lawyer, I, my guess is you don't have common claims. Every individual claim is going to be an individual claim. So I'm not, I mean, I can make the argument for it, but I can also see that one getting dismissed on procedural grounds as well. But I mean, I'm not opposed to trying everything. I think it should be an all of the above strategy. Yeah, I do. I'm still, I'm very interested in that because I don't think that they should be able to tax the New, the New Hampshire residents or the people that are working in New Hampshire. And so I'm interested in the different ways to try and attack that, but I'm not sure that the full faith and credit option is the best one or one that I would advocate for. So what other bills did you sponsor this session and did any of them pass? Yeah, um, I sponsored about 16 bills and about four of them, I believe are signed into law or on the verge of signing into law. The window tinting bill, I think is still waiting for the signature from the governor. And uh, so the other, uh, some other bills that I passed had to do with privacy or with right to know and, and uh, I'm trying to get it so that when people uh, seal minutes, that there's a process that they don't just get forgotten about, that there's a process that they get unsealed when the time is right so that they aren't forever um, kept from the public. And when so- you say minutes, you mean like town councils and, and uh, budget committees? Town, yeah, town meeting minutes um, for any, any public body. And so what I got passed this time was if you, if the town is buying property and the deal closes, then it's automatically unsealed minutes because they have the right to seal minutes when they're discussing the purchasing of property. Mm -hmm. And so there's no reason why that property or that those minutes should be hidden after the sale has already gone through or that felt bill passed. Yes, that bill passed and is right. uh, law now. And so I also had a bill that repealed the license for lightning rod dealers and salesmen. And people were just ignoring that law. Um, no one really under, no one was enforcing it. No one was against it. It passed on consent on both sides. Um, even, even the um, fire marshal of the state, I think, uh, testified in, in support of getting rid of it. So uh, the other thing that I, I uh, did was try to 
uh, clarify that when you're changing your time sheets, uh, so if you clock in incorrectly at your job, there was some employers that were interpreting the language that we have as actually you had to print out all of the changes and sign each one manually. And so I changed it so that it clarified that all of those records can be kept um, digitally and and uh, you can have a digital essentially. Why signature. was the government involved in my and my employer's timesheets anyway? So they're trying to make sure that you're not getting um, getting defrauded. There was a, a, a recent case, I think, where uh, I think delivery drivers uh, just just were owed like $600,000 or something in back wages because of the way that their, their employers were, were counting their times. And so they have, they already have this regulatory thing, obviously um, we would all like it to be less, but if they're doing it, let's not have them have to print out all of these pages, waste, waste time and energy doing that. So that was actually a request from someone in, uh, in the industry that's, you know, having to print out 20 pages worth of stuff every two weeks so that people can sign it. And there was a bill also, I don't know if you were involved, but I, I assume you were because you're Mr. Occupational Licensing. Um, there was a bill that allowed people to cut hair if they're not being paid, I believe, and that passed? That passed. That is not my bill. That was, uh, I think, uh, uh, Representative McGuire's bill. Good. And yes, it, it passed. So if you're not charge, charging anything that it is... Not a, no longer a crime. And uh, my other uh, licensure repeal was hawker and peddler and itinerant vendors. Those um, passed the House and is getting retained in the Senate. So there's still some, I don't know, questions. There was not really anyone testifying against those because it's a duplicated license. It's both at the state level and at the local level. And so it was just a repeal of that. And so I'm not sure exactly what the Senate wants to see, but hopefully they don't kill that. I've got, and, oh, yeah. sorry. I was gonna ask another question, but go ahead, finish. No, um, so I have a couple of other uh, bills that are retained. One of them has to do with uh, property rights in that uh, zoning, a lot of the zoning we have is trying to restrict people's use of their property and requiring um, large plots of land is one of the ways that they try and restrict your property. And so the bill that I tried to put in was if you are, if your property is gonna be serviced offsite by water and sewer, then you don't need a giant plot of land because that's the main reason why they say that you can't have you know these small, plots of land is because you're going to be sucking up all the water and and there's not enough room for leach fields and stuff like that. So I said, if you guys aren't using that, um, then you can't have two acre zoning. You can't have um, any requirement that's over a half an acre. And so that one's also being retained and we're going to work on it this summer. Also increasing the uh, speed limits on some highways that's retained this summer. And uh, we need to be I think we're trying to look at specific mile markers of certain highways that we would like to see raised. So if you are driving around, see some mile markers that, uh, that you, on a highway that you think is too slow, 
chalk that down and come to the hearing when it comes and suggest that we add that to the law of raising raising the, the uh, speed limits. So those are some of the bills that I still have pending. Great. Um, a big issue for Republicans nationwide is voting integrity. Um, I don't know how New Hampshire does conducts its elections, but uh, my question is, do you think it's proper for government to privatize vote counting functions to companies that manufacture electronic voting machines? Does New Hampshire do that? And if so, why? Or, you know, do you favor it or not favor it? So I guess the question is, is a little bit, a little bit confusing. If, if I understand your question correctly. So a lot of the, a lot of the, um, well, I can clarify. Okay. Yeah, go ahead. I mean, in, in a standard sense, you know, in, in the old days, you know, when the constitution was ratified, everybody went to the, to the town square, they took a piece of paper, they put, you know, George Washington or John Adams, whoever they voted for, and they put it in a box. There was a piece of paper and some government official counted the papers. Today, right. in some places, you have private companies like Dominion that have electronic tabulations that count the votes. And they claim when there's, you know, the audits that are going on in the country right now, Dominion is claiming that its information is proprietary and it's not subject to subpoena or discovery. And from my perspective, that seems like a gross dereliction of duty by the government. I, any government that did that, I, I think is, is derelict in its duty to, to count the votes itself. It shouldn't be contracted out. I mean, we should have a record of who voted, how many votes there were, and, and that the government is able to produce that and, you know, we don't, I don't want to listen to, uh, you know, representations that we had a fair and free election. It should be right there. We can all go count the votes. There were 742 votes in this precinct. And here, this is how they went. But with this electronic voting that's done by private companies, we don't have access to it. We don't have oversight over it. And I, I mean, I don't know how New Hampshire conducts its elections, but I'm asking, you know, do you know? And if so, you know, is this a problem there? So. When you say electronic voting, are you saying that there's no receipt, essentially a, a piece of paper that says who you voted for and, and for which office? I'm saying that, I mean, there, there may or may not be a receipt, but you have okay. no guarantee that it's accurate and correct because so, it could be changed. So in New Hampshire, the process, um, it, they have a form essentially kind of like the, a standardized test where you're supposed to fill in the little dots and then there's a reader that reads those dots. And right. so it, before the election, they run a bunch of test ballots through and make sure that it comes out with the correct number uh, for each vote, for each person. And so they double check that. And then at the end of the night, I think on the, uh, on the actual voting night, they don't actually count each ballot for each person. They just verify that the machine counted the right number of ballots. And if they don't, if they didn't count the right number of ballots, then they would have to go and count all of the, them individually. And right. so the only time people are actually looking at the ballot to, 
afterwards, after the vote, to see who voted for which person is in a recount. And then they actually are looking at the ballot and saying, Joe Smith went to um, this, this piece of paper goes to Joe Smith, this goes to Bob. Joe. So are those so machines owned the by the government ballots? or the owned privately? The machines are owned by the government. We bought them probably back in the 80s. So we are pretty secure in so far as that they are too old for anyone to um, but in Wyndham, I'm sure you're familiar with what happened in Wyndham. Yes. There were, there were issues, and then, you know, those massive, massive overcounting for the Democrats, apparently, on recount, and all the Republicans in Wyndham and maybe other places got, got cheated. But then th th they said, oh, we found the reason um, the ballots were bent, and that was the reason for all the issues in the world, and just drop it. Don't talk about election integrity anymore. Well, it's not unreasonable that they were folded incorrectly like they went through that line and the machine couldn't you know there's a shadow in the machine when you fold it and then it thought that that was a bubble in there um that isn't isn't super surprising and then when someone actually looks at it you get the right count and i guess so, the question is when, when a lot of people right now say they want to just go back screw everything they want to go back to just regular old-fashioned paper, paper ballots. Exactly. Counting. I mean, wouldn't that be you, more secure and more accurate? Yeah. Would you understand secure? where they're coming from? Yeah, I understand where they're coming from, but we have paper ballots in New Hampshire, so that's... But, I mean, hand-counted as well, not machine. Um, I think that the like hand-counting each individual race, um, that would take a really long time, and so I think that the the... Uh, we did issue there is years. how many people you want to volunteer to, you know, for six hours counting the counting the ballots when you could have the machine do it, it with, you know, a 99.9% .9 accuracy. We've only had the electron. Well, that's the whole question. First of all, people question whether it's 99.9% .9 accuracy. And second of all, we, we've only had electronic counting for less than 20 or 25 years. I mean, we went over 200 years counting by hand. And we would have election results within overnight, within the next day. I, I don't, I don't think that it, we would need, you know, countless days. Or I mean, look how long it took this election to get. I was going to say the presidential took three months. I mean, so, so you can see, um, you can see with each election when there is a recount and it's done by hand, the variance between the what the computer came out and what you are literally seeing on the piece of paper. And that is a, a check every single time that someone is do, does a recount. And we did, I don't know, something, I think 90 or maybe even more recounts for different races in different spots. And those are all random because you don't never know who's going to ask for a recount. And so it's kind of like spot checking all over the place and to see if those numbers are accurate. And so we don't see, uh, we, you know, for the last 20 years, we haven't seen consistently there be a problem. And, you know, with just like Elliot was mentioning that there is, there was this folding that was very surprising. It was like 6%, which we normally don't see we see, you know, points of a percent difference when we recount, not 6%. And so that's why uh, Wyndham was so surprising and why it got a lot of attention. 
and got a bill passed specifically to audit that one in depth. And so for that reason, I think that there is another, there was a bill recently, I think sponsored by Representative Verville, possibly to, uh, or, or it might've been uh, Representative Lang to audit that the um, Secretary of State will just audit like every election, just a random like 5% of votes or something like that. And so to make sure that you, it's not just up to the person requesting the audit, that they're doing spot checks all the time. And if they see um, an error, then they have to keep on going. That's a pretty good idea. Just random spot checks. That's a decent idea. Yeah. And so that was just paper counting, but it's a decent idea. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. All right. So we only have a few minutes left, Josh. I know it's almost been an hour and thanks so much for your time. What are your other ideas? What's on your wish list for next session? You already have bills ready to go because you've got to file them in a few months. Um, I'm still thinking about some bills. And one of the bills that I was thinking about is the daylight savings time bill that always passes in the House and dies in the Senate. Um, It did so again this time. I'm thinking about coming at it from a different direction and saying that we should um, create an interstate compact to say, okay, we're going to send people and this is going to be their job like every year is to, to work with other states to come up with solution and model legislation and even let um, uh, maybe even go to the federal government and say, hey, we need to get this this done. And so I think I might try and do some, some, uh, get some movement on that. that An angle to use for that one is, and I'll help you with this, the angle to use is the increase in heart attacks and strokes and car accidents the next day. So offline, I'll help you with, with that one. We can write some articles to help with that bill. Because that could be a good angle. People saying, think of the children, think of everyone dying from COVID. You want to save lives? You can save a few thousand lives very easily, just like this. Yeah, I, I always have supported it. And for those reasons, absolutely. I just want to actually get something passed. And so I think that this could be a method to get something passed. And it would actually help in the long term. Like the longer it goes and the more states join on, then you will be able to get the data all in one place and res- a reliable source. Because right now, every time uh, I present the bill, it comes back from the, uh, that the, the Broadcasters Association doesn't really like it because they're, they're uh, going to be negatively affected. And so if there is some way that we can address that, even at a regional or a federal level, then that would be great. And so that we can get some movement on that because, you know, um, you know, Fox sports and all of them have a big, big uh, uh, bone to pick. If you, if you change the times of sports. So. Interesting. What other, what other bills are you thinking about proposing? Um, I'm going to try and go after athlete agent license again. Uh, That one died this time. And I think that we could, the main reason why it died is because there is a danger that uh, someone will ruin someone's prospective chances to like play for the NCAA and the school will be 
penalized for that, even though they had nothing to do with it. And so there needs to be some like cause of action from the, from the school being harmed by someone else, essentially making a child ineligible that they already have a contract with. And so um, I'm trying to thread that needle where um, we don't need a license, but maybe we could have a cause of action just for retribution or like restoring the people that were harmed by the action. So what other licenses does New Hampshire have that other states don't? So I'm sure we have some licensures that are still pretty bad that we could repeal. Um, I'm not familiar with um, the other states and how many of them have the licenses that I didn't, I, I believe that I was going to get some paperwork on that, but I haven't seen I told you a few weeks ago, I would send you the Institute for Justice. Um, did you send that? I didn't license see to work. I did not, <laughs> but okay. thanks for reminding me. Um, yeah, they did a report a few years ago. It's probably outdated. It was called License to Work. Um, my dad or me could send you something, but you should be in touch with Institute for Justice because this is one of the things they do primarily is they, yeah. they fight yep. the uh, state legislatures and the boards, all the departments and boards of licensure to get rid of frivolous licenses. Yep, right. Absolutely. I love the Institute for Justice. Oh, so you do know about them. Okay, okay. Yeah. I thought you said you weren't familiar with, I guess, just that thing. I just, I'm not familiar with, you know, the other, that specific paperwork that you were talking about and the light comparing New Hampshire's license to other states' licenses. Great. Any other final questions for Josh from either of you guys? Let me throw, I've got one that's more cultural than political, if that's okay. Uh, I was looking at your, your Twitter feed and I saw that you retweeted a tweet that said that Jeff Bezos is one of the greatest benefactors of humanity. And I wondered, well, I wanted to challenge you on it. I mean, Jeff Bezos runs the Washington Post, which is a very evil organization. It spreads some very evil ideas. His business, Amazon, is one of the biggest profiteers of COVID tyranny. And I wonder why you believe that he's one of the greatest benefactors of humanity. He retweeted that because Amazon published my book, Corona Fascism, with KDP. So they did do some good. So, so I've actually worked for Amazon. Um, and I think that they, they provide a very valuable service that has improved our availability to get a lot of what we need. Um, at an, and you, they have like a one-stop shop and it has, it's very convenient and made it much more uh, easy to get what I need when I need it. And so there is, a, you know, and definitely with Prime, with one day shipping and stuff like that, they're, they're, they're uh, well, it's very easy pushing to back make it, on. Sorry, I was going to say, it, was, it just makes it very easy to be convenient when the government shuts down all their competitors and forces everybody to purchase through them. You're talking about like brick and mortar stores in the last year yeah, I mean, during COVID. Yeah. I mean, they were, they were doing good before COVID, but, but yes, I definitely don't think that, I, I mean, but that's a, once again, a problem that the government created that we need to make them not restrict uh, brick and mortar businesses and not punish Amazon. They're doing a very good job. I mean, they have a, a large backbone of the internet with their, um, and yes, I do have problems with, you know, them banning people off of it. Parlor. Um, yeah. Um, but I, I do think that it's a very cheap and 
uh, easy way to get your information hosted and on the on the internet. And uh, yeah, there are some drawbacks to it, but there's it, way more good than than bad has come out of uh, Amazon for sure. I have a big conflict of interest since I just walked out on the show to pick up two more packages that they just delivered. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I have a bigger one. Generally, when I see an Amazon truck on the road, I just point them to my address. But yeah, I do have problems. But you wouldn't have any objection if Bezos got on that new thing of his and went one way. Um, as long as we, you don't have as long as we need him uh, to to make Amazon better uh, and get us stuff quicker, you know, disrupt the shipping industry and stuff, uh, you know, taking five days to ship across country, you know, they're, they're messing with that space, making those people much more competitive. Maybe eventually uh, UPS will, uh, or USPS will have to ship or shape up because of the pressure from Amazon. You know, there's, there's uh, a lot of ancillary uh, benefits from what they're trying to do. So, yeah, I think we all agree about, about Amazon. They've done, you know, every time I've ordered from them, which is a million times, in fact, Amazon just built a new big uh, uh, fulfillment center in Hookset because I've ordered a billion things from them. So I'm bringing more jobs to Hookset. Um, and we all agree, they provided a lot of cheap, available, convenient things that we've all ordered a million times. So they've done good. At the same time, if Amazon donates billions to leftists, that's bad in a Ted Liberty. They shut down parlor. $100 billion dollars to Van Jones. And Washington Post as well. So they've done a lot of bad as well. Again, it's a lot of good and a lot of bad. Similar with Walmart, a lot of good and a lot of bad. Same with the Chinese Communist Party. We get lots of cheap stuff from them too. Yep. And again, I could do a whole show or a whole book about this. You know why all of our products are from China? It's again, because of the US government, right? They've made it so difficult and so expensive and so costly and impossible by regulating us to death that we can produce this in China for $17 and it costs $500,000 to produce in the US. So of course they'll produce it in China. It's the government's fault. So if the government didn't exist, everything here would be produced in the U.S., not China. Again, it's, it's politicians' fault. Uh, you sound like that crazy guy from Liberty Block when you say yep. that. <laughs> All right. Josh, well, I, I want to thank you very, very much for taking out your time. Thanks, Josh. We asked you tough questions, and you answered with grace. Thank you. Thanks for Wait, having me. Wait, I didn't see Grace on this show. One second. Who's the Iden? We'll have her next time. <laughs> Good night, Josh, Thank you very much. Night, I hope Gracie. you come back to be tortured some more sometime soon. Absolutely. And make sure we're helping you with all the pro-liberty bills. I know you have a lot of good bills. Make sure we're all helping you because we do want to help you pass those good bills. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank, thank you for making that point because we actually really want to make changes. And I don't know if Alu told you, but all of my political energy goes basically to New Hampshire. So if I can help you in any way, please let me know. Thank you. Okay, have a great night. You too. Thank you, Representative. I'll talk to you soon.